I'm Alyssa Bresnak, and over the past year, I've spoken with founders and fans, investors and engineers, employees, celebrities, all to answer one question. What happened to HQ Trivia? An app that drew millions of live viewers and was supposed to be the future of TV, until it wasn't. From the Ringer Podcast Network, this is Boom Bust, the rise and fall of HQ Trivia. Now on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. What's going on, jabronis? It's Pitch Mr. Perfect, Skylar Aston. Hey, this is Bruce Pritchard. Gross Battle Season 1 champion, Mike Lunt. The king of sad stop. The Silver Lake heartthrob. It's Troy Kirby. It's Nick Mundy. This is your real WWE superstar, the legit boss, Sasha Banks. Hey, this is WWE superstar, Braun Strowman. My name's Kevin Owens. I'm Shinsuke Nakamura. Zach Linder. Dan Black, a.k.a. the Goof Haraja. I'm AJ Styles, the phenomenal one, if you will, and you're listening. You're listening to this. You're listening to. You are listening to. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening to the Masked Man Show. 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 Welcome to the Masked Man Show. I'm your host, David Shoemaker. We're back again. Seem to be making comebacks more than we're uh, making appearances these days. I'm joined by my favorite guest of all time, the King of Sad Style, Dan St. Germain. How are you doing, Dan? What an intro. Holy shit. Uh, I'm pretty good, man. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. The world is still weird, but wonderful in its ways. I think the last time we talked was before WrestleMania or something. Yeah. I'm so confused as to whether or not WrestleMania counted. <laughs> we have lots of pay-per-views going on, so I guess wrestling still exists. WrestleMania was unsanctioned this year. <laughs> we got a lot to talk about. We had Backlash on Sunday. Uh, we actually, This show we hadn't even talked about in your house, but there's lots going on. A lot going on. We have a very special historical segment. The segment lives on. Dan has asked that we discuss Pete Rose in the WWF, WWE, <laughs> and we will, we will be talking about that I later on. I something like that would take us like 10 minutes to watch. Yeah, it'll take 10 minutes to watch and two hours to discuss. Listen, it just happened. So let's start with the low-hanging fruit. Let's talk about Backlash. I, there, You know, it, it sure was a pay-per-view. Um, I don't know if I'm just getting... I don't know if anybody cares about the conversations about what wrestling looks like in a crowd-free era. And I don't know if I'm just totally just too used to the no crowd thing, but the tiny crowd look is actually kind of doing it for me. I don't, I don't really know why, but it, it feels a lot better than just the straight-up empty arena. Yeah. As much as this whole thing seems like a parallel universe, and I can kind of take it as such, yeah. Randy Orton and Edge in the greatest wrestling match of all time, we got to start there because, frankly, this was, well, maybe not the greatest wrestling match of all time. It's certainly how it was booked. And the fallout is sort of interesting, too. We have Edge on the on the disabled list uh, after the match. What, what was your takeaway from that match? Well, I, I thought it was a good match. I... My belief is in the beginning they had a huge mountain to climb, but because Randy Orton and Hedge seemed to have a great sense of humor about it, mm-hmm. they didn't go all Seth Rollins on social media. They were just kind of like, yeah, this is just a marketing ploy. Because of that, my expectations were uh, kind of like measured. And then I saw them put on a great main event match and realized that they're two wrestlers who know how to work. And it was a great match. Was it one of the best matches ever? No. Was it close? No. But they put on a hell of a match, and it felt like a real main event. 
it, you're, you're right. Uh, listen, from the very beginning of this, the first time that Charlie Caruso said that might be the best man- match of all time, it was implicitly hilarious. And who knows yeah. what they thought at WWE headquarters. But yeah, I mean, it, it, it was not going to be the, the greatest match of all time. But you're right. It was a really good match. And so much of what makes up a good match. Now, listen, we're, we're in the age of five-star work rate. You know, I mean, we, we were spoiled with the amount of like just absolutely just flawless wrestling that we get on a fairly regular basis. But there is a sort of sliding doors aspect of this. We're like, you know, if Edge had never retired and if a couple of things had changed and Randy Orton had been the John Cena of his generation, we're not that far away from a universe in which this match would have seemed like, holy shit, I can't believe it's happening. And the the response to the match would have been better just based on those two wrestlers being incrementally more significant. Am I crazy? No, I, I agree with that assessment for sure. It was a good match. It was a good match. But the, but the, it's, the fallout was really sad because Edge apparently tore a tricep. And not only did he tear a tricep, but he tore it reportedly in a, in a reshoot. Like they had already finished the match and like reshot a couple of spots or something. And an injury like that, I mean, you're getting that from most likely you're getting that because of your age and whatever he's taking so he can be in the sure. ring. It's not like... You know, a Foley bump. Like, he could have had that. He could have gotten that bump. I mean, I look, I don't know what bump it was on, but, you know, it's like whenever you see, like, Triple H or Vince when they tear their things, and it seemingly happens out of nowhere. Yeah. If he is using, H, you know, any any growth hormone, which I'm not saying he is or he isn't, um, then that, then you become more susceptible for those types of injuries. I, by the way, I don't give a fuck if he is. I mean, he's a 47-year-old man wrestling. He should take whatever he needs to take. Mm-hmm. It's not a legitimate competition. So this is not me taking a stance on steroids, but you know, when you get older, it's just, it, and, and you know, it's just things can happen a lot, a lot quicker and a lot less, almost less dramatically. All these wrestlers are sort of ageless in a way, you know, it's like until you, especially when you come back looking like edge does, it's almost like barely any time passed between his retirement and now, but it was a long time, you know, and he's a lot older. There's also like the Randy Orton's of the world who just keep going out there looking great and working and stuff. And, and you don't really think about, time taking its toll until it just like bites you it's tough too with edge because edge's style you know relies so much on that flashy you know like either you know either uh really fun like aerial slash power moves or you know hardcore matches none of which are great for a guy that's getting older and it's it's hard like you know like our I really like the Undertaker Roman Reigns backlash match. They highlighted that on the on the uh, last ride. This no, it wasn't Extreme Rules. It was them versus Drew and Shane. But the reason that match was good is that Undertaker was tagged in for whenever they got the heat on Roman, and he was you know tagged in for the comeback spots. Uh-huh. I don't know if Edge in that role. I guess he does a couple spears. I don't know if he works the same way in that role. Like you want to see Edge have the matches that are a long time. Undertaker, you kind of just want the entrance in the tombstone. At this point, it's true. We can talk about the last ride <laughs> if you want. You know, the Undertaker sort of bristles against the idea that he would just be like a two trick pony. I remember after his John Cena match, I was just like, okay, the best thing about this match is that it sort of charts the course forward for like another five or eight years of the Undertaker, right? I mean, we could, we can keep doing this exactly. That's enough for us. And, and it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be the same for Edge. Now, you know, his style is, has evolved some, and I'm sure that. Over time, with age, he's going to have to adapt a little bit. I think the real question here is just like what this means for his future full stop, because it's not like, you know, he signed a five-year deal to be working Raws and SmackDown. I mean, he, he it, my guess is, from what I understand, it was a 
they had a very low number of wrestling matches in the deal. And if this sort of puts him on the shelf for a while, who knows? Who knows? I mean, I'm presumably he'll want to come back and they'll People certainly like want him back. Mat- it's like three or four matches a year, right? Yeah. The first thing I heard was it was just five matches total. And so I assume there's a day di- he, he ended up doing something different or there was a, an option on it or something. But like, it sucks. You know, no, any, anytime somebody gets injured at that age in, in any sport, even with something like a tricep tear, you know, there's that 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 time off leaves you a lot of room to reconsider. But anyway, I mean, I I I, I assume he'll be back, and I I think he'll be back for next year's WrestleMania. I don't, I don't think anyone's going to yeah. miss that. Drew McIntyre, Bobby Lashley was it was another one where it was just like that match was better than it had any right to be. But then you take a step back. I mean, maybe I'm just being overly critical. I'm like, no, that's how good that match should have been. These two guys are really, really good. I disagree. I thought it was very good, but I did not expect that from Lashley. I thought Drew really got a great match out of him or Lashley's able to like really hang with Drew. Yeah, that, I think that's the way I felt too. I mean, I think it's just like if you go back... Like, you can make the case that Lashley should be having matches like that all the time, right? If you go back through the tape, you know, his run in TNA is super underrated. I don't know if it's underrated. I don't know how people rate it. But there's he did a lot of stuff there where it's just like, oh, no, he's a good wrestler. He's, like, really, really good at this. And I think that, I don't know, there's this kind of very interesting theme through the past couple of weeks for me that I kind of kept coming around to thinking about where I was watching In Your House. And we're just spoiled with some of the stuff that we get to see in NXT, right? I mean, we like Keith Lee, the, Johnny Gargano, that match was freaking excellent. It was excellent. And I came away a little bit with a few complaints and I couldn't, I mean, not complaints, but I wasn't quite all the way in on it. I think my, I know if I had been there live, if you had seen that match in an indie show or whatever, you would have said that's the greatest match I've ever seen, right? I mean, it would like, like, and there was just something different about it being in a WWE ring. I probably would have booked it, the psychology of it a little bit different. I'm glad that it went 20 minutes. I'm glad that, Keith Lee went over. I find it usually when people say Keith Lee, things like Keith Lee needed to look more dominant. I hand wave it off. I felt a little bit like that was legit in this match. But the point I'm trying to make, we can talk about that match more, is that I'm watching that match. We're spoiled with stuff like that. We're spoiled with Adam Cole. We're spoiled with, you know, Finn Balor with with, with everything. And then you see like Karrion Cross have a really good match, short short match with Ciampa. And I couldn't help but think that like Karrion Cross in another era would have one probably been the best one of the best physical wrestlers around. But also, I don't know. It's just I'm just I just think about how guys who like seem like they're out of a different era fit in now. And you see that with Edge and Christian. They're literally from another era, but they're still plugging yeah. along. You see that some with I mean, you can go down. The, I mean, Bobby Lashley fits that description, which is why I started, you know, started on this rant. I, it's It's really interesting to see. It's not, I don't want to call anybody a dinosaur. They're doing great work, but it's just a, you, someone like Bobby Lashley, you know, he has the skills in a sort of abstract way, but yeah, you don't necessarily expect him to go out and have a four-star match. Lashley's good. He's one of the few guy, few bigger guys who's better with bigger guys. Yeah. Like his matches with Cena and McIntyre uh, and Umaga were all very good. But when you have like Finn Balor, it just looks a little goofy because he doesn't like, he doesn't necessarily wrestle like a traditional big man. Mm-hmm. He doesn't wrestle like Paul White or Kevin Nash. He wrestles like a Haas. He wrestles like a big Haas. You know, like, we're just like, let's, and so does Drew. And they kind of throw the kitchen sink at each other. Yeah. And that's, that's really what needs, you know, he, like Bobby Lashley, you know, an example that would be probably similar, even though I think that he's a better character in AEW, is Jake Hager. Like Jay can have a really good certain type of match, um, but you if you put him in the ring with somebody 
you know, I, I think like who's a, a little bit more spot heavy. It just doesn't, it doesn't look the same. Yeah. I mean, it's a weird, I feel like maybe it's because we have different, all these different companies that are, you know, the, the talent is being used in different ways, but I do, I feel like I, I find myself thinking about this all the time, uh, or at least recently I've been thinking about it a lot from what little we've seen in NXT, obviously I think Karrion Cross. I mean, the, the, what I kept thinking watching the match is that like, he's worked really hard to be able to be above average in the modern wrestling era. That's what, or that's what it looked like to me. You know, like I, I, I guess it's not just that he's out of another era. If he was a, if he was wrestling in 2002, I feel like Karrion Cross wouldn't be as good because he wouldn't have been motivated to try to be as good. Does that make any sense? I feel like it's, it's nice to see these guys actually like go out and try really hard to keep up. I really haven't seen enough out of killer cross. I mean, I, I, I haven't seen him in TNA and the stuff that I've seen in WWE has been very squash. I really loved, actually, his match against Leon Ruff, I really loved that one job. Yeah. Partially because Leon Rush took some bumps that were absolutely, I have no idea how he's still fucking standing. <laughs> uh, he, you know, whatever that doomsday device. Oh, my God. It looks like a nightmare. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I just don't think we know yet. It'll be yeah, interesting. Yeah, we don't. Well, we, him and Keith Lee have a fight or yeah. somebody who's more a size. We know that they're, you know, WWE or NXT, I mean, that he already has a bunch of big fans and that, you know, it's it's yeah. uh, it's it's probably going to be a pretty straight line for him. And it'll be interesting to see how long he sticks around in NXT. I don't think it'll be a while. I, I think he's like got a really good. He came in with a very good, polished WWE gimmick mm-hmm. with Scarlett Bordeaux and the theme song and coming out and the look that he had. And for them, he's like diverse, but he's still. <laughs> He still looks like a white guy, you know, like, so it's, it's like for WWE that checks a lot of balances. Yeah. It'll be fun to watch this and it'll be fun to watch the, the crowd's reaction to him too. Speaking of call-ups, Matt Riddle is going to be on SmackDown. It'll be interesting to see how, or what kind of look he gets off the bat. And now there's rumors. I mean, I guess, I, correct me if this is like already a hundred percent done, but it looks like Damian Priest is going to end up, or, or Damian Priest is one of the names that's mentioned about it. It looks like, um, I heard Damian Priest maybe going up. I heard I heard Velveteen was think, they were thinking about bringing Velveteen up, but they're gonna stall on that. And uh, who's that big motherfucker who fought Keith Lee? Donovan Dijakovic. It's funny. I rem- I have a very clear memory of when Apollo Cruz got called up. I was just like, well, he didn't get enough time in NXT, but he really does feel like a guy that makes more sense on the main roster. And then that proved to be totally wrong. So I'm reluctant to say the same thing about Dijakovic, although that does seem to be the read on him, right? I mean, it's like he he was good in NXT, but I don't think they had a real... He's not nearly as good in the ring as Apollo Crews, but he's tall. Yeah, no, I I mean, I don't think think they have any really real parallel except, well, I guess they both have, you know, indie rep at the time that they turned up in WWE, but they, they, yeah, I just feel like... Yeah, Dijakovic can be in, can be on Raw. That's fine. He'll he'll, he'll fit right in. It's it, it'll be interesting to see what they do with him, just like it is with everybody else, because he doesn't come in with a lot of the baggage that some of the NXT projects that have ended up to be failures have come in with. Right? He doesn't have an over the top gimmick, although they could easily tweak it to be over the top from moment one. Yeah, I, I don't know. It really depends on what WWE sees in him. I, I don't think. You know, the thing that he's known for is that he's a big guy that can do kind of these crazy moves and uh, is way more aerial aerial than, like, you know, a lot of big guys out there. But I'm not sure if that's how the main roster wants big guys to wrestle. So mm-hmm. 
I, I don't know. Because I even sometimes I watch his matches and I'm like, yeah, this is a little too busy for me. Like, I'm totally fine if – like, I'm totally great with a seven-foot guy doing a Hurricane Rana. But it's got to look like a Hurricane And some of, the, some of the stuff that yeah. he does does not look like the moves that uh, he's trying to telegraph. Well, we'll see. We'll see. I think, yeah, I think that he's, I think that at moments he looks like transcendent and you're right. That's not, but it's not, it's not, you know, every second of every match, but I think, man, I, I really like him. And I think that they, I think that if he, if they call him up and they make him like a cartoon shoot fighter or something, it'll be sad because I think that he's got a lot of potential just to be, to be like a top of the roster hand sort of, but we'll, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. We'll see. And him and Keith Lee. I mean, I think, you know, Keith Lee, I keep, I always say it. I mean, Keith Lee can just just pencil him in for WrestleMania main event next year. Yeah, I agree. Plus, he does. He has that thing that uh, the Rock and Hogan have, where he like stops in the middle of the match and just kind of. It, it does kind of get annoying at empty arena wrestling because you're like, dude, what kind of energy you're trying to? There's nobody here. <laughs> but uh, but you know, it's going to work out very well for big matches. Yeah, the way that he the way that he wrestles. What do you think about the Apollo the Apollo Cruz push? And do you think that's gonna well I mean oh man, here's the thing we gotta talk about. Sorry. Well, Paul Heyman? Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say, do you think it's gonna continue? Paul Heyman got kicked out got got removed as a uh, as you know, head writer or whatever, producer of Raw. Yeah, anybody's like, What the fuck happened to Paul Heyman? Like, dude, he's gotten the best deal ever. He doesn't have to break his back anymore, and he's still signed to the company because they're afraid he's gonna go to AEW. Like you can't get a better deal than that. Yeah, I mean, just in general, I mean, if you're not fireable for whatever reason, and listen, I mean, just in terms of his value as an in-ring performer, I mean, as a, you know, on the microphone performer, he's sort of bulletproof. So yeah, I mean, the, if he if he got a raise to be the, you know, I mean, it's if he got a raise to be the producer of Raw, and he's probably still making that money now, even though he's just a, just a performer, I mean, it's it's he's, he's in a good seat. Um, and clearly, you know, he's got a lot of people's respect. Uh, his, his voice is respected. Um, it's kind of crazy though, just in the, in the abstract that I felt like raw has been really good. Uh, they've definitely done a good job of elevating young talent because they didn't get left for the whole shit ton of it after the brand split and speci- and especially after AJ left for SmackDown. Um, and I don't know. I mean, to make any decision of that level during the situation we're in right now just seems sort of crazy, right? I mean, how do you, how do you judge the success of anything that he's doing without hearing a crowd respond to it? Well, I mean, I think the biggest change that I saw this past Monday and why this past Monday, in my opinion, was a better show than the last couple of weeks is they didn't do nearly as many like matches that went three segments. Like I, I said this on a podcast yesterday. I love Aleister Black and Apollo Crews, but neither of them are over enough to be in a match that's three segments okay. and kind of pre- Pritchard, like, you know, reset, like give everybody something, you know, have something to hold on. You know, what they missed is, um, you know, they, they miss building new stars and that's going to come to bite them in the ass. It, it always does. But as far as this is concerned, I mean, I, I thought it was a pretty good show. I, I think that, uh, you know, really the reason the show changed didn't really have as much to do with Pritchard as it does, with Vince, Vince is the one who fought for a lot of these changes with Paul. And I'm, I'm not really talking about like the uh, wrestlers that he wanted to push, but as far as, you know, like I want, I want this to be three segments. I want this to turn this into a tag match. Like Vince was the one pushing for all of that. 
So now he's, he's, you know, like Heyman's kind of an, you know, he's, he's an easy scapegoat. Yeah. It's just sort of befuddling. I mean, even if you had minor, I mean, I'm sure they're the, I mean, who knows what their relationship was like backstage. Who knows the level of disagreement, but it's, the scapegoating is just so obvious that it's, I don't know. It just seems a little, it's a head, it's, it's a head scratcher, right? I mean, you already let Bischoff go like 15 minutes after they hired him. This was their big announcement. And then in the middle of the pandemic, when you're out there wrestling with in front of, you know, 15 NXT trainer trainees, you just fire your head writer. I don't know. It's, it's, and maybe it's just, you know, I love Bruce. He's a really nice guy. Every time I've interacted with him, I really like him. And, and, uh, yeah, I love Bruce. and I think that he's a great creative force. I have faith in what he's, in what he's going to do. So it's not a knock on it's him not at really all. Bruce or Paul. And I think that, like that's whoever they put in. If they if they fucking dusted off Vince Russo and brought him back to be the head writer, God forbid, it's Vince McMahon's call more so than any other company. So like whatever you don't like on TV, that's Vince. That's yeah. not. I mean, like maybe. Uh, and from everything I've heard from people that work there, like you know, Heyman was not the same guy as the last time. As far as like, you know, dying on every hill, mm-hmm. he was just a guy who was doing a job. And, the, you know, that, and maybe that's if, – if I had to complain about anything during the Heyman run, it would be that he didn't take more chances and put – but it's impossible to do that. It's impossible to do that with that guy at the helm. I just always think about um, – I mean, it's just really hard. I mean, the constraints are really hard. We can all come up with great ideas about the way they could change it. But you're – I mean, but the, the, the things that you just are hidebound to in terms of yeah. – the structure of the show, the length, the, the the commercial breaks, everything else, and just the general expectations of the fans and clearly Vince McMahon's input. I mean, it seems you could have, you know, you could have the the most brilliant booker, the most charismatic voice in the world back there. And I don't and, and I think it would it wouldn't feel like an earth changing difference. So, I mean, I guess that's why I just really appreciated what Paul Hammond was doing. It also makes me now doubly nervous for Drew McIntyre's future because I feel like he's doing really well. Not just because he seemed to be a Paul Heyman choice. No, he's a Vince guy. I think he'll but, be fine. Yeah, okay. But I guess I guess more in a general sense, it's like he's been the champion through some really low ratings numbers, right? And that's and I think we can all agree that that's not his fault. But if we're gonna if the axe is gonna start falling, then why would it not fall? I mean, then, then what would prevent it from falling on him too? It's a hypothetical. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I just think that- I think that Drew and I'm not making excuses for this, but he was, you know, his biggest moment was in an empty arena. He was a relatively new baby face that was getting over, but he was a new baby face. And the people that they had him fight, Seth Rollins, who, you know, like I actually like the Monday Night Messiah character, but it's it's laconic, man. It's yeah. it's very slow-paced. And then Bobby Lashley, you look at Austin, and Austin's first opponents were like Mankind, and then a Red Hot Cane, a Red Hot Cane, all building to a SummerSlam opponent with The Undertaker. So, like, I, I think that you need to have those people to beat right afterwards. Mm-hmm. They have those people to beat for him. Yeah, the first feud after a new title win is always precarious. It just always is. And and we can look at the, you know, Daniel Bryan versus Kane or whatever and and, and say, oh, that was a terrible decision. But it's always it's always so tough. It's all it, nobody want. I mean, and and rematches get shit on too. I mean, it's just always it's 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 a really tough 
and that I mean it's that's sort of the breaking point uh for a lot of the for a lot of these new champions. It's it's a, it, winning the title for the first time at WrestleMania is a great story. Uh but what you do after that is what really defines you as a wrestler and your legacy and everything else and and it's you know winning WrestleMania is the do, easy part. If I was them I would have just done the Heenan thing. And I mean Paul was had a creative but I would have had until the summer Paul Heyman like bringing out different guys for Drew mm-hmm. to beat. And it was then then it becomes Paul versus Drew, similar to when it was Heenan versus Hogan. If you don't have the top guy uh, uh, as a heel, then you take the top heel manager and you have him build up guys that normally could. Because, you know, like I think MVP's done a terrific job, but the problem is that he's still not Paul Heyman and he hasn't managed anybody like Brock Lesnar. So yeah. it, 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 although although I was pleasantly surprised with the job he's done, his voice sounds great for packages. He just wasn't in the position to help Drew out. I agree. Uh, and you listen, you're preaching to the choir. I grew up watching, you know, that kind of thing all the time. That was, I mean, that was WWE. They did that. They did that. And Jimmy Hart did that in Memphis. Um, I mean, that's a, there's a long tradition of like. Scandor Akbars of the world who are just, you know, they're, be- they're they're more reliable employees than the freelance wrestlers or whatever, but they but it's but it is. They they can get so much heat. Um and it can be so effective. And especially if the lo- you know, then the long-term chase and all those sort of becomes well, we saw it with 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 CM Punk and and uh and and Heyman um way back in the day, but you got to get your licks in on the manager eventually. But I don't think that's necessarily a you know make it or break it sort of thing. I, I agree. That's a really smart idea. They they could have done that. They should have done that. And the question then becomes how much difference it would have made in an empty arena. Um, you know, I, I think it would have been better. Uh, but I agree. I I I'm really enjoying the Monday Night Messiah. Um, I think that's one that that is really. I mean, I don't. I think they've been doing a good job with it. But I can just. I just can't help but think of how much better that would be in an arena, just turning out the lights and having some sort of like stained glass spotlight and just letting the crowd boo. I mean, it could. I mean, that could be. That 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 could. It could be a whole lot more epic. It could, and I think like Seth is better when he's whiny. So him yelling at the crowd for booing him would be good. Mm Hmm. Uh, but uh, you know it's it's unf- it's hard to play a cult character when Bray Wyatt's the last one who did it, and he did it pretty damn well. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to pull in those shoes because even when Bray Wyatt wasn't making any sense, there was something charismatic about him that that like kept you watching. And I like what I mean. I like what they're doing with with Seth now. I really liked. I don't know if I said this on the show before. I really liked the sort of subtle interplay between. Becky retiring or sit or whatever, uh, taking a step back, uh, and then sort of separating Seth out from that. And that was the night, if I remember correctly, that he just lost his mind, right? And it almost seemed like you could, you could, it felt a little bit like a funhouse mirror version of, of Ambrose turning heel the night that Roman Reigns retired, right? It's sort of like Seth, like Seth's, Seth's having a kid, his wife retires. We don't acknowledge that on the air. And then Seth decides to like, like lose his fucking mind and kill Rey Mysterio. Um, they they only like half acknowledged it, right? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's whatever. I thought, but I, but you know, I don't know if that's a thing to give Heyman credit for. But it does feel like I don't, I've 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 enjoyed. There's a lot of things that I've just sort of enjoyed without it being just like you know the main event matches and stuff like that. 
let's see. I mean, SmackDown has been SmackDown to be, to be clear has been a really fucking good show too. And it's so it's so boring to say at this point, but the two hour two hour the two hour show is a lot. It's it's a lot more fun to watch uh, in terms of just constitution. Oh, I mean, yeah, I mean, I look forward to Wednesday nights because you know Dynamite's two hours and NXT is two hours. Mm-hmm. Three hours is just too fucking much. I understand they can't list that third hour. I, I mean, advertising, but you know, I I just don't see how that helps. Yeah. It helps with financial windfall. But I think what we're seeing is, you know, to blame it on Drew or the pandemic, like WWE has had these problems for a long time. And we are, we are entering into an era, you know, WWE thinks it's the star. It's the, it's the top, you know, it's, it's the top baby face. It's always going over. That's, that's the point of WWE. But now we're kind of evolving into professional wrestling kind of being like professional basketball. Like it's a wrestler's league. It's a player's league. You know, it's, it's more about what the boy, the boys communicating on different promotions It's about the ability to jump to AEW, to new Japan, to dynamite. You know, you're going to see like the Jeff Cobbs of the world are going to start being uh, the rule and not the aberration. Wow. Uh, you should write that column for the ringer.com. You know, the pandemic is going to, in some ways, kind of puts a damper on it, right? I mean, I, I think just not in, I think in a, in practical terms, you're probably not going to see as much of, even though even though WWE just straight up fired a bunch of dudes who had just signed contracts, I still think the pandemic is going to push people towards secure security, right? Um, so I don't know how I don't know how many times we're going to see, you know. Seth Rollins or Drew McIntyre like running out the end of their contract to see what kind of offers they can get. I think that if they get, you know, a big offer to stay a, a year in advance, they probably will. Uh, but, but who knows? Who knows? Um, Some people who've protected their character, I think are going to have a lot easier time in free agency. Like I would say like somebody like Kevin Owens would have a pretty easy time in free, free agency because he was his own man, but he also wasn't like difficult to work with. Mm-hmm. And those things together are gonna help them. God, I can't say enough about Kevin Owens. I just can't. There, there are just there are not that many people. Who should Drew's opponent be? Yeah, should be fucking Kevin Owens. He did the same thing with Kofi Kingston last year. Have it, have it be Kevin Owens, man. Yeah, I mean, I think it was explained to me that they're they don't want to turn him heel so quickly, and they and now because they kind of want to save it because he's working as a face. But even still, that whole face heel thing seems a little bit unnecessary and precarious. Speaking of face heel, but okay, first of all, let me let me say this about Kevin Owens. He is, and we've known this about him for a while. He's incredibly valuable as a main eventer. I think he has, in some ways, even more value than a lot of guys who are kind of above him on the totem pole because he can elevate a mid card feud like nobody else. And it doesn't make it. it you when you watch Kevin Owens feuding with Zelina Vega's crew. It doesn't yeah. feel like a mid card feud. It feels like a sub main, like like a secondary main event, and and that yeah. is a and that is a thing that there's some people, there's some dudes that if you if you take them out of the main event, you just kind of ignore them, or you can kind of put them on the side because it feels like they're slumming it until they're getting until they get called back up. But Kevin Owens never feels that way, and you saw that before he was in WWE. I mean, that was he could always pull that shit off, and I think that that's incredibly valuable. Um, and man, I mean, I just love watching him even when I don't enjoy, even when he cuts a promo that I'm sort of like, 
And, and, and when he's a baby face, you know, there's more of those than when he's a heel. But I just love watching him. I really enjoy everything that he does. And um, he's real yeah. good. But speaking of uh, the weird baby face heel alignment, um, if they were there, there's a lot of people who have who have suffered because of the lack of live crowds. I think you probably you could probably make the case that if anyone's benefited from the lack of live crowds, um, it's Braun Strowman because I don't think there's any way that the crowd wouldn't be cheering the Miz and John Morrison if they were in front <laughs> if they were out there yeah, in arenas. I mean, who knows though, man? I mean, like that's a guy who was. I mean, we forget that that guy was super fucking hot. No, I don't mean this is a knock on. I don't mean this is a knock on Braun at all. I just mean the Miz yeah. and John Mor- and, and 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 John Morrison have just been operating at such a high level in terms of like the kind of people that that like the loud Monday Night Raw fans would be ironically or non-ironically cheering. Like they would be so over in front of a big crowd. Yeah. Um, but you're right about Braun. I mean, he's great. And and it's it's a you know, I know that he was sort of an accidental champion right now, but he's he's a perfect one. He's a perfect sort of placeholder. He's great. And this is a this is a sort of great sort of you know lemons out of lemonade placeholder main event feud for SmackDown. I think they're doing just magnificent stuff with it. Um, I mean, I don't even know what else needs to be said. There's a lot of talk about the Oscar Nia Jax finish at Backlash and how that apparently that was changed the last or uh, the day of or something that Oscar was supposed to win clean. They changed it to the double count out. She ended up winning the next night uh, and on DQ. But like, I don't know. It seems, I mean, it seems, I, I don't know that anybody like this listening to this would possibly disagree. It may, it makes so much more sense for Oscar to win cleanly. And I don't know. And I don't even think it hurts Nia in the slightest. When you're a monster like that, and one of the few monsters of the division, it only takes five seconds to recharge. So I don't know. I mean, it just feels. I don't know about that. I mean, if, if that was the case, then Big Show would be a new monster heel each time, right? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. You're right. But it's all but it's a but it's about it's not just perception. It's also about the push. Right. I mean, if, I just think I just think there's a huge value in Oscar looking great, looking dominant right now. And uh, I don't I mean that I don't think she should have won cleanly, but like or she she didn't need to squash Naya. But like it's a uh, I don't know. Um, it's an interesting decision. I'll say that. I feel like the 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 mission should be really building Asuka up right now. And I, and I don't, and, and maybe, maybe it'll, maybe it'll all work out. Maybe, you know, maybe she'll end up looking better than ever after all this. Um, that was an interesting maybe. way to start. Maybe I, it really just depends on what, where Vince wants to put Charlotte. Right. So Charlotte lost the NXT title uh, at a, uh, in your NXT house. Title. Um, in a, in a hell of a match, man. Yeah. Great match. Um, Io Shirai is your new NXT Women's Champion. Uh, she is incredible. I mean, she's just so great. Um, she's working so well before as like a pure heel, and I, you know, we'll see how that goes. But like, I, she's just incredible, and and that's, um, I don't know, man. I I really enjoy Charlotte's stuff in NXT. I know that's that's an unpopular opinion. Um, I, I guess I guess it was more people were down on like the like the overabundance of charlotte on all the shows um but yeah i guess if she do you think she i mean i guess she'll just end up on raw that'll be her final resting place is that the, uh, that sounded wrong uh did you think i mean do you think we're just gonna have charlotte on raw in the near future challenging for the title there yeah if, if it's a if it's a final resting place for a wrestler it's usually a best western in an indie promotion <laughs> you know 
at 5 a.m. Uh, oh my God, I was so trying to avoid that. Thank you, though. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I think she she's uh, she's a hell of a talent that they don't need to have on three shows a week. Is she? I, I didn't mind her. It was a little weird about like they they did kind of bury Rhea Ripley, but you know she's been the champ and. And she's also uh, super young, the best man. In the company, so who cares? Yeah, Rhea Ripley's very young still, right? I mean, what kind of what matters is, and I know this is not satisfying for anyone that's a big fan or that disagrees with the booking or whatever else, but just to sort of be ensconced in the main event at that age is enough, right? Randy Orton. Also, she's a big. Like, she's she's big. You know, she's got broad shoulders. She was like, she could fuck you up. So she's, she's not. She's big, but away. she's got she's got to stop doing those power moves, those those like pump handles off off the second rope on Charlotte because it doesn't look compelling, it doesn't look convincing at all. But anyway, that's a, that's a minor nit. Uh, Rhea Ripley is a is a super duper star in the making, and I don't think, you know, I mean, I think just establishing her as a as a main eventer, it doesn't ha- you know, it's not going to be a straight line for everybody. I think that it, there's a, I think that she's already earned a lot of value from what she's done so far. And we'll, and we'll, I mean, I'm sure she's not going to be far away from the main event. Um, it'll be interesting too, to see yeah, how that, I mean, more so. I said this last on another podcast yesterday, but what the fuck happened to Bianca Belair? Put her in a prominent role. I mean, she's great in the ring. She can fucking talk. She's got a ton of presence. Why the hell is she just, you know, gathering dust? I have no idea. And again, if you wanted somebody to, if you if if you needed somebody to be in that Nia Jack spot, I mean, why not her? It just it seems. Or even like I'd rather see her feud with Natalia or Liv Morgan or something that's like a little different. Totally, totally. Bianca Belair is really good, really, really good. And I, uh, I, you're right. How I don't understand how they're not doing anything with her. I really don't understand how. We just shouldn't be saying why what why aren't they doing anything with anybody on a three hour show that is like lacking in main event stars. It's just it's kind of crazy. Everything that they do, I mean, I, I like a lot of the decisions that they've made, but you're right. She should be out there few she should be in one of those in one of those spots. That that's that's without a doubt. Hopefully they have plans uh that explain that, but but who knows? Who knows? Because I was just looking at a pay-per-view schedule and there was like a, a couple pay-per-views in a row in two thousand nineteen that Drew McIntyre wasn't even on. So <laughs> Like I'm, you know, I, I don't, I don't necessarily think that they've got no plans for Bianca. Sometimes they just don't. They literally just don't have a spot. It's not like them just saying, "I don't have a spot," and it's because they stink. It's they don't have a spot for that type of character. But yeah, if 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 she's not in a in some sort of at least TV feud by November, I'm going to be very suspect. Yeah. All right. Before we talk about Pete Rose, let's take a quick break. If you've been dealing with acne, redness, dark spots, or wrinkles, finding treatment that works can be complicated. You need skincare that actually performs, but getting started can be overwhelming. Thankfully, there's a solution. Roman makes it convenient to get customized prescription skincare that really performs. Just grab your phone or your computer, complete a free online consultation, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. If appropriate, a doctor will prescribe a custom blended treatment based on your skin type and priorities. You'll receive your custom skincare treatment with free two-day shipping. You'll also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor if you need to make a change to your treatment or you have any questions. With Roman, there are no commitments and you can cancel anytime. 
In celebration of Men's Health Month, Roman is offering $20 off any new treatment during the month of June. Go to GetRoman.com slash MaskedMan for $20 off any new treatment and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash MaskedMan. Eligibility requirements and additional terms apply. We're recording this on Wednesday, so like it's it, NXT and AEW are going to get the short shrift uh, because I'm like waiting for the new episodes and everything. Um, but let's talk about Pete Rose. One of the greatest baseball players of all time. Uh, in a just super bizarro netherworld um, ever since he kind of got booted from the, I mean, got got uh, disqualified from the Hall of Fame for betting, decided for money. He still for, gets a pension, right? I have no idea. No idea. But for whatever reason, decides that uh, decides to say yes to Vince McMahon when he calls and appeared on, what, what was his first, so his first appearance was WrestleMania 14. Um, in Boston, where he went out and cut just one of those great heel promos that only like a celebrity that does that only understands wrestling like seventy five percent can cut. I rewatched all of it last night. His whole journey in WWE. I found four appearances that he had. I think that's right. All. I think that, I think four was. I think it was just four. I think it was four. There was WrestleMania fourteen where he got power bombed by Kane after he uh, shat talk Boston. Then he got his ass kicked. Uh, in a chicken costume. No, no, he got his ass kicked in a chicken costume. Then he had yeah. somebody dressed as a chicken attack Kane, and he was really the guy behind it, which was actually, that was all of Dean Ambrose's and the Miz's program, but, and then the the fourth was, was uh, him just being backstage, and I guess Kane being in his dressing room and beating him to death, because we never heard from him again. Yeah, it was one of the great running jokes, right? I mean, it was, it was WrestleMania 14. He came back in the chicken costume at 15. Uh, 16 was the fake chicken costume. And then there was a little bit of time off, but he, but he took a bunch of tombstones, choke slams. He took a Rikishi uh, stink face. Um, he got inducted to the hall of fame. I guess that makes five. And then he made a comeback after, I mean, he made one appearance afterwards. Um, he got into the hall of fame. Yeah, Kane inducted him into the into the celebrity wing of the Hall of Fame. He was the oh, first. He was the he was the first inductee in the celebrity wing in the celebrity wing. Um, it was, uh, and and I think that was. I mean, at the time, it was this big build up because he was actually getting into a Hall of Fame, right? I mean, and that that sort yeah. of the birth of the celebrity wing was always on the back of Pete Rose. That Pete Rose's inability to make it into his proper Hall of Fame. Um, <laughs> You know, it's funny because the first time he wrote his bookie, guys. Yeah. <laughs> for the entire, uh, the entire run. It's funny because the first time that he showed up at WrestleMania 14, Pete Rose came out, cuts this ridiculous heel promo, just shitting on Boston baseball fans. I mean, it was super. I mean, it was it was effective, although they kept cutting to uh, crowd shots where people seemed to just kind of be laughing along. Like they gave him a warm welcome, and then even though there were lots of boos. It was like people were appreciating the gimmick and were sort of booing with a smile on their face. Uh, he loved it, too. He loved every second of it. Oh, yeah. It was like in between his insults, he was going, oh, yeah. <laughs> like, and then Kane, I who think is... That that's a guy who understood. I mean, imagine I, the best heels in the world are the ones that have a reason to do what they're doing, right? And is there a better reason that at WrestleMania 14, so this is like Kane versus The Undertaker, 
that right during this time, I believe it was like, was it right when Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa were like in that home run? So he must have known there were steroids all over the mm-hmm. ba- all over baseball. And he's like, fuck it. It's all work. I got kicked out of the Hall of Fame and I didn't do any steroids. Yeah. I bet on my own team. It's a work. Everything's a work. Fuck everybody. And that sort of everything's a work. Fuck everybody turns you into the perfect heel. It's true. It's true. He's, it was really good. I mean, speaking of, we always complain that they don't need to have clear, people don't need to be over the top faces and heels, but they did rely on Kane to come get, to come tombstone Pete Rose after that heel promo, even though Kane was the heel in the match he was about to have. I guess it probably would have tarnished the Undertaker's reputation to get involved at all with Pete Rose. Yeah. Also, there was the sort of big red machine crossover, right? Was that, did they talk about yeah. that out loud or was that just sort of like, a, like a the, the implied? Anyway, the, you know, that was. About, he, on the last one, he talked about it. He, he was like, uh, big, uh, uh, he's like, I'm the real big red machine. Yeah. And then he shat all over San Francisco because he was in San Fran. I think that the real takeaway is that uh, Pete Rose was awesome. That's like the perfect way to use a celebrity. You got to get somebody who's like, that perfect level of like self-aware, but lack of, but with a total lack of self-awareness, I don't even know how to describe it and then have them. I don't think it's, I don't think it's a lack of self-awareness. I think it's because I saw, I saw one of the clips and A-Rod was watching it. And as soon oh, as it yeah, was yeah, done, yeah. it's hilarious that A-Rod says this, where he's like, man, you'll do anything for money. <laughs> <laughs> I got of all the people to say that, but he's right. I think Pete Rose is, I, I would, when I was in Vegas for double or nothing, the first double or nothing, I got well, I, the end. Uh, the Caesar's Palace is huge, and I got lost. And there was one area where I guess Pete Rose was just constantly in this area signing autographs, and you could take a picture. Like he had a booth in Vegas that just you could a just permanent go place. To. Yeah, that you could just go and talk to him. Oh my God! Was there was like Virgil set up at the table next to him, or like down the hall? <laughs> um, Who writes Virgil's Twitter account? That guy should get an award. I don't know. I don't know. Ever since the Iron Sheik, ever since ever since the Iron Sheik's Twitter account came out, I just can't. That was sort of the end of Twitter for me because it was like, yeah, no, it's nothing. Even Twitter's a work. Come on. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Twitter's so awesome. I just don't like to use it. Pete Rose definitely of all of the terrible celebrity inductees into the WWE Hall of Fame, Pete Rose deserves to be there. Um, and even just on the merits of it being a work to like, you know, to, to thumb their nose at Major League Baseball everything's a work and WWE is the first people to acknowledge it. And I think that on those grounds alone, uh, it's fantastic. Also, he never, he never, he never insisted on getting his win back, which is better than a lot of wrestlers can say. <laughs> yeah. Could you, can you imagine Hunter in a chicken costume? Come on. <laughs> what they need now, they just need him to come interrupt one of like Kane's speeches as mayor or whatever he is. Just like, they just need to keep working that into regular, into, into real life. <laughs> After seeing him in Vegas, it's it's that is a very feasible thing. <laughs> He's available. Make that happen. Um, I'm just from a hot meal. Uh, do, is there anything else you want to say about about Pete Rose or about about Kane? No, nothing. Kane Rose? Uh, you want me to just promote my stuff? Yeah, yeah. Plug away. Plug away. Uh, my my podcast, Total Left Marks, that David's been on a couple times. It's on the All Things Comedy Network. We actually just signed the. Uh, uh, Robert Karpolis, who's a free agent, or Karpolis, sorry, I always fuck up the last name, Karpolis. Anyway, he is the writer, he is the guy behind the WWE Creative-ish account. It's yeah. A really funny account. So he's the uh, third co-host, uh, and uh, I'm going to be in Providence, Rhode Island next weekend at the Comedy Connection. Nice. And Are you allowed to go to comedy so, shows? 
Uh, this one's going to be in an outside tent. And yeah, I mean, I guess that's going to be it. <laughs> what is the world of comedy like in the age of coronavirus? Well, this would be my first uh, toe in the water. I'm not really sure. You know, like my comedy, I've done shows that are like this and I've done some writing, but you know, there really isn't going on stage anymore. I mean, some people are doing these like, you know, truck stop shows and God bless them. I'm kind of doing the same thing, but as far as like me doing any of that shit for no money right now, it's going to be really hard to get me to do that. Well, that's the sort of attitude that all of our listeners need to have. Um, It's a uh, it's a wild world that we live in. So uh, I appreciate professional wrestling for being here, giving us giving us a little respite from all the craziness. And and uh, I hope that this podcast is fun for you guys to listen to too. Oh oh oh! Before I forget, seven years ago today, Mark Henry delivered his retirement speech in the pink blazer. Um, so let's all remember that. Go back and watch it. There's your moment of zen or whatever for the week. That's uh, <laughs> one of the greatest fake outs of all time. I mean, just one of the greatest wrestling moments of our lifetime. I don't think anything will ever. I mean, no, that that might be like the last time that we were ever fooled. That we're, we're going to remember that as being the last time we're we got be tricked. Surprised. Yeah, the last time we were the last time that we got tricked by a pro wrestling angle. You know, we, it's so hard to do it anymore. We've already like fantasy booked everything in our head. Anyway, congratulations to Mark Henry for making me feel like an idiot, uh, as he often does. Uh, thank you, Dan, so much for doing the show. Jim, my beloved heel producer, thank you for recording it. Thank you to The Ringer. We will be back here next week, I swear, humanoids. Oh, by the way, apologies, as always, to John Moxley. Let me take that again. Apologies, as always, to John Moxley. We'll see you back here next week, humanoids. We are desperately out of time. The tape machines are rolling. We'll see you next week on The Masked Man Show. 